Welcome to a new episode of Books to Last. This episode I'm joined by Samantha, the creator behind the A Girl with a Book blog and the Green Witch Books Bookstagram account. Please check out the description for the list of books we've discussed as the episode may contain spoilers. Welcome to Books to Last, the podcast that challenges readers to pick the only five books they may take with them when cast away to a mystery remote location. As ever, I'm joined by a book-loving guest, and this episode I'm joined by the lovely Sam. Welcome, Sam. It's so great to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm so glad to finally be here. I'm fantastic. How are you? I am very good, yes. I've had a lovely day of lots of video calls and meetings but uh i get to have this awesome conversation with you so i am happy oh fantastic <laughs> so, no pressure <laughs> <laughs> no none at all um for the benefit of any listeners who might not be familiar with you and what you do why don't you introduce yourself tell us a bit about you and books great um okay basically i have been a lifelong lover of literature and I've also been a little bit of a grammar Nazi since I was a child. So I initially studied um, publishing studies and languages and literature and then I worked in a publishing house for a short while before I moved on to doing book reviews and that's what I do now. I do some book reviews and I do writing and freelance editing. So I'm basically just constantly submerged in great literature and it's fantastic. Living the dream. That does sound like the dream, honestly. It just sounds amazing. I, I've always said that basically, if I were to just go and like quit my job tomorrow, which you know, if you're listening, I'm I don't plan on doing that. But if I was going to quit my job tomorrow, the first thing I'd do would go just find a bookstore that would just take me and let me work for probably just books. I mean, you can't buy food with books, but you should be able to. You could nourish the soul with books, and that's what's important. <laughs> That is what's important because you don't want a malnourished soul. That's like health 101. Exactly. <laughs> and from there, the body is just secondary. No, I joke. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I completely agree with you. You're completely right. <laughs> so um, just, I mean, current reading, what are you reading at the moment? What was the last good book you read? Because um, <laughs> no, they're not always great, but uh, it seems like you get some good ones. <laughs> Um, there's a few. I'm actually, I'm currently doing a work practical, so um, I'm away from home, which means that I have a lot more time to read than usual. So I've already done quite a few books this week. Um, at the moment, I'm reading Josh Mailerman's new book called Inspection. Um, he's the author from Bird Box, the one that the Sandra Bullock movie was based on. And it is, it's, it's creepy and it's just kind of mind, like mind prodding that you're thinking, what's going on? And you know, the thrillers, I'm, I'm a big fan of thrillers and horrors and whodunits. So anything that kind of has a slight angle of the macabre really appeals to me. Oh, well, I mean, we're talking at a good time for all of that sort of theme, being uh, at the beginning of October, exactly. we're really into the uh, the macabre uh, season. So oh, that sounds really interesting. I've never really been a big um, thriller reader. I think maybe probably because I've just not read the right one. I'm a firm believer that any genre can be for pretty much anyone. They just have to find the right book in that genre. I just haven't found exactly. my thriller yet, I think. I'm not yet there yet. Um but it's always I'm always taking recommendations. So Well after we've after we've checked out the two recommendations that 
recommendations. Definitely. Okay. Well, I mean, that helps us move very, very uh, smoothly onto the next section, which is uh, your list. But as ever, as the guest, you get to pick where you're going to be cast away to with your five books. So where are you going to be cast away to? Doesn't have to be a desert island, as discussed previously. We don't like sand on this. Well, I'm a, I'm I'm an anti-sand person. The guests may like sand. <laughs> I'm definitely anti-sand. I'm with you. Um, I think my ideal would be a tiny little cabin hidden deep in the woods. You know, somewhere where it's just like kind of like the witch's the witch's house in Hansel and Gretel or something, where there's just greenery around and birdsong and toadstools and nice calm weather and ferns it would just be wonderful that does sound wonderful but you mentioned the witch's house in Hansel and Gretel is your house going to be made out of like candy and sweets and chocolate or is it going to just be a regular house I think it would probably be a regular house otherwise I'd have to roll out the front door every day (laughs) Uh, I always thought that was my um my favorite image from Hansel and Gretel which ultimately um any adult will know is actually kind of a disturbing story but (laughs) um i was just picturing the sort of gingerbread house type cottage in in the woods that's all made out of sweets and chocolate and all that sort of thing i always thought that was really cool or a cabin in the woods is a great place to read exactly it's secluded it's isolated you know there's not much else you can do except read unless you want to be a lumberjack (laughs) well i mean there may be aspiring lumberjacks in our listeners who knows but in between lumberjacking (laughs) is that the does that the verb no idea (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> in between other forestry activities you can read um and i mean what is the first book that you'll be taking with you to your cabin in the woods okay let me first start off by just saying this is an incredibly hard choice um and i'm sure it is for any book lover to so just pick five books Oof, it's hard but the first one that i came that i decided i would i would take with me is called spill simmer falter wither and it's by sarah baum or Baum, I'm not sure how you would pronounce it, your side of the world. Um, she's an Irish Probably incorrectly. <laughs> she's an Irish author, um, and I think that was her first book, and it's just, it's an incredibly poetic book filled with just hope, and give, it's perfect for a good cry. It's basically the story of somebody who adopts a dog, um, and the person who adopts the dog is not, you know, doesn't have the most perfect world, and they're a little bit broken, and a little bit down on their luck and everything and the dog is also not you know the dog is a little bit broken as well and they just form this kind of unexpected great duo that really complete each other and heal each other and just there's just so much love and warmth and emotion but it's also just the prose is poetic and it's gorgeous and it's a quick read um so it's it's one of those if you really ever feel like you just need a good cry for example if you were stranded in the woods as a lumberjack and needed a cry it's the perfect book for that it sounds one that sounds really wonderful i mean some people do seek out a cathartic cry in a book sometimes because it's nice to um, exercise negative feelings in that way i mean it sounds sort of wonderful do you have uh, i don't know a favorite part or i suppose character or elements of it i i do but the only problem is if i reveal that it's a little bit of a spoiler it's, it's one of those books okay. where this, the journey that you start on is not where you end, you know? So you've got to be, I've got to be very careful about giving away any kind of spoiler. Oh, I love that. I, um... it's, it's my most restrictive choice of all the books, I think. 
well, it makes for a very mysterious offering. I mean, I'm definitely not a blurb reader. I go into all books blind. So, I mean, that would be a good starting point for, for this one. Um, and it's interesting that you chose a short read as well, because a lot of people seem to um, take this as a challenge to list all of their favorite books that are the longest books that they've ever read ever. So... <laughs> Well, I mean, this... it's to get more pages for your time. <laughs> I think I've actually I'm looking at my list now, and I've mainly I've mainly chosen quick reads. I've just realised maybe there's something about being stuck in a in a cabin in the woods that I thought that I can't spend too much time reading. Well, you'll be able to pull a lot of meaning out of them. I um I was found with the with shorter books. There's there's usually so much meaning packed into every word because they've been so sort of carefully chosen, exactly. which sort of can lead to how short they are. So, yeah, it can add so much to the reading experience. I suppose you'll have to take a pen so you can annotate and talk about your feelings on the books as well. Uh, well, with that very mysterious choice, yes. what is the second book that you want to take with you? Okay, the second book is, um, it's quite a well-known one, is Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. So um, I'm sure everyone is very familiar with the with the film that's got Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, but um, it's yeah the book is so much better, as any book lover would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely one that people would have heard of before. What does the book bring uh, that the film doesn't have? Curiosity because I have seen the film, but I am. Um, not necessarily my kind of film, and I did probably come out of it with more questions than I went in with. Is the is the book going to make me feel the same way? No, um, I think it was a very good film adaptation, but I think the book itself answers a few more questions and has a, a little bit more nuance that the movie, I don't think the movie could do um, with the limited time. But the book is also it's there's it's I find the book far more emotive than the movie. Like there's this real sense of anger throughout the book and disappointment and you know I don't want to give away the whole plot but as he finds out who his friend really is <laughs> you know there's that there's the proper letting down which I, I feel like the movie kind of skipped over a little bit you know there's far more of an an investigation into the emotions of the characters in the book um, and to how they really experience all the scenarios I mean even secondary characters you know like the little ones that we just see on film as a glancing glancing passing figure um, really are more fleshed out in the book yeah you definitely find that with books I, I that's really interesting because uh, you get their sort of inner monologue and thoughts and feelings and a deeper look into them that's one of the reasons why I'm always if I enjoy a story in film I suppose or if I enjoy a tv series I almost by default start looking for a book because I want to be able to be inside the characters minds instead of just seeing what the actors put on screen that's the thing and I think the difference between a book and a movie is the book you create your own you create your own movie essentially I mean you have your own idea about how the characters look how they feel how they move whereas in a film it's kind of all been presented to you you know you're, you're almost cut out of the equation um so there's this this really this magic that a book has that you're literally part of the story um because if you hadn't read the story it wouldn't happen almost you know so it's like the, a writer makes you an integral part of a, of a book whereas a film you're kind of just a passive viewer yeah, that's I've never thought of it that way before, but I suppose yeah, you definitely get brought into it and the story unravels because you are unraveling it. It's a um it's an active choice that you're doing. It's an active it, for something 
that would seem as like a, quite a passive activity in reading is actually quite an active one. And I suppose also with films and TV shows, they have directors and producers who are kind of portraying their interpretation of the story and their feelings and how they view it. Whereas when you read it, it's entirely your own perception of the story and your own, um, I suppose you're directing it in your own mind because everyone pictures it all differently. I, you know, from the way people picture characters to settings, they bring their own image to it. Exactly. I mean, even if even if you've been provided with a description, you'll still kind of embellish it and embroider it in your mind, you know? So you, you make it more real, I think, in a sense, and more accessible. Yeah, I suppose that's probably why m- most people are disappointed by t- on-screen adaptions, because uh, <laughs> no one can possibly have their um, <laughs> dreams answered with them. <laughs> yeah, I think it, we'd, we'd all be those types sitting in the front row going, that wasn't in the book, that didn't happen in the book. <laughs> definitely i always find it so interesting to see what um directors and producers choose to keep from a book as well because it's all very much um i'd never heard this before but another podcaster i follow was talking about some adaptions of some books that he'd read and um he mentioned how it was so strange to see what the director had deemed important when actually when you were to read the book that scene is sort of you know a passing scene to them to them it's so unimportant it's it and yet it's given like a huge segment of the film with all of these special uh, sort of you know special attention and special effects and it's being made into a centerpiece of the film when in the book it didn't feel very important at all or vice versa you know something that you thought may have been absolutely pivotal in the book just kind of gets glanced over in the movie and you feel like you've done such a disservice to the story (laughs) but i suppose yeah whoever the director and the producers and the the groups would probably feel the same way they'd probably feel that they're version of it was the most important or the most accurate or the most relevant yeah and they all have um a message they want to send as well i suppose so it all comes down to that and it's a lot of different lenses but when it's just you and the book um there's a lot less to it so it's a lot cleaner i suppose at least to you personally uh but yeah i always find it really fascinating when someone does a just a good when someone says actually you know that is a really good adaption of that book um or interestingly when someone says that the screen adaption is better than the book um i do have uh, maybe a possibly controversial opinion uh, that i think the bridgerton tv series is better than the book series i like the book series but i do think the tv show does a better job of it i just think they do <laughs> I've heard that from so many people. Um, unfortunately, I can't comment because I haven't seen the series or watched the books. <laughs> I mean, other way around. Having read the books or watched the I'm not the biggest um, romance fan. It's the one genre I kind of skip. So, But there's I've heard that opinion from so many people. And I have to admit, just seeing, seeing little bits of the show, it looks gorgeous. It looks so immersive and so perfect like the attention to detail seems phenomenal so I can totally understand that yeah the production team has done a really wonderful job on it but yeah like I say it's um I romance is kind of a funny one because I think people sort of I suppose either do or don't I mean that's the case with all genres isn't it people either do or don't read them but um I I sort of don't classify myself as a romance reader I'm just sort of because I read across genres but I do read romance as sort of 
in the same way people consume rom-coms for sort of you know light fun and entertainment romance is kind of my refuge for exactly that's kind of feel good comfort zone reassurance i understand it totally that's why i read thrillers they do the same thing for me <laughs> well exactly because there are two different kinds of people there's people who go to rom-coms for um sort of that left uh, uplifting moments and there's some people who like really love like I don't know, thriller TV shows and mysteries and um, that sort of thing. I think they both address the same need and like neither is sort of, yeah, better, better or worse than the other. But I mean, I, it's like p- police procedurals and soap operas, they're all sort of addressing that same need. <laughs> exactly. There's an audience for everything, you know, then there's something for everyone. I think my biggest issue, I mean, my biggest pet peeve really is when people say they don't watch or read anything, you know? Um, I might not be a fan of romance, but if you love it, go ahead, read it. As long as you're reading, I don't mind. Exactly. I think uh, that I'm similar. It kind of irritates me when people, I suppose, say that they don't understand how something ever, well, why something's on TV or they sort of dismiss a a specific show or a specific film or a specific, Mm -hmm. I don't know, genre or type of thing as, um, I suppose, worthless in their eyes because they don't like it personally. Because honestly, if it didn't get an audience, they wouldn't put it on TV. They don't put things on TV for charity. They do it because because people watch them. Exactly. And it's often, I feel like it's a bit bit snarky to say something's worthless. I mean, you know, an opinion is is like, you know, a leg, everyone has one. so it's just to, to call someone else's taste worth it's a, it's a bit harsh you know it's like that's all this is all just, let's all just enjoy the fact that people like what they like really. <laughs> yeah it's very harsh and very judgmental i mean um yeah an example probably over here in the uk is uh people um have controversial and split opinions on the tv show love island <laughs> i have actually heard about this and it is just really interesting and it's i've never watched the show so it's completely over my head but just seeing on social media how it divides people is really really scary um i don't watch it personally (laughs) yeah it is like a war i don't watch it personally but i um i don't have any ill will towards the show it's just not my it's i say it's not my kind of show i do watch reality tv and it's i don't watch love island for the same reason i won't download tiktok and it's that i have a finite amount of hours every week and i can't willfully expose myself to something that will take over my life (laughs) so i can't have tiktok and i can't have love island in my life because i've seen what it can do and the problem is it really is addictive you know and you you may Mm -hmm. start off saying as jokingly oh yeah i enjoy it whatever but the problem is it becomes this black hole that just sucks in your time you know and next thing you look up and you've watched four seasons and you've got gray hair and you wonder where the time went precisely but yeah so um that was a i'm not sure how we got to there from fight club but fight club is a very famous book and um i think it's one of those books that people don't realize is a book because they're so the film has become so popular it's similar to like um jurassic park i suppose it's such a famous cult classic of a film that uh, people kind of forget that the book came first so um that's a good recommendation for someone to try out exactly no, no, the, def- the book definitely eclipsed the movie i mean the, the the movie definitely eclipsed the book i think um a lot of people didn't even realize it was based on a book <laughs> which is which makes it kind of a treasure actually because if you enjoyed the film you'll definitely enjoy the book 
Exactly. So that's a great one for Fight Club fans out there. And also maybe people who just are curious because they've never seen Fight Club, but they've heard so much about it. Because I definitely have that with so many films. Like before I watched The Godfather, I was just like, hmm, I feel like I should read The Godfather because I've heard so much about The Godfather. And did you? Uh, I think I ended up watching it in the end. probably easier I've, I've heard that the godfather books are quite a quite an effort to get through yeah i um i definitely got there eventually with like lord of the rings so i'm reading lord of the rings now because oh. i got scared out of reading them but watch the films but my best friend and i are reading them together now That's so nice if you do a buddy read though that makes it so much better because you can discuss and compare and kind of motivate each other to get through those parts where they're just walking through the landscape going to mordor <laughs> Well, she is the friend who made me watch the films, so um, she's never read them, but she adores the films and she knows them back to front, so she knows everything that's going to happen in the book. She's been very good at not spoiling it for me, because there's been thin bits, we're like, yeah, I've only watched the films once, so I don't actually remember a lot of them, so she has been quite good at not spoiling it for me, and just enjoying it as it is, so yeah, it's been quite good. She's she's the type of friend that people need. She sounds great. (laughs) She is. She's an excellent friend. Um, And she listens to the podcast. So I can't wait till she gets to this episode and she uh, messages (laughs) me to say thank you. (laughs) Um, Okay, so that thing. What is the third book that you'll be adding to your list in your cabin? Okay, the third book I decided on is called Never Let Me Go. And it's by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, strangely enough, I've just realized there's also a film of this one out. <laughs> um, I've, I'm now looking at my list, I've realized that every single one of my books, including my honorable mention, has been made into a film as well. So at least we know that there's mass market appeal. Cinematic books. There we go. It's a theme. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if you've, if you've seen of the film of Never Let Me Go, but it's, um, it's a bit of a twisty, dystopian vibe um, where there's a, a very special boarding school where children are kind of raised and interred and they find out um, that they have a very specific purpose in life and they're being raised for something. Um, and then once they realize what they're being raised for, it's quite shocking and they start to have a lot of existential angst about what it really means to be alive and what purpose is and what the soul is and all that kind of thing. But also with this kind of feeling of a little bit of a horror a little bit of a motion in the background where you're thinking things aren't as they should be and it's it's a little bit unsettling that sounds so spooky i think i mean i so i go into a lot of buildings when they're empty as part of my job mm-hmm. and people massively underestimate how scary a school is when it's empty <laughs> absolutely and this, you can kind of feel the ghosts of children even i mean not that children will die but you feel you feel like the memories of children should I say you know there's something very creepy about a school there's I think it's something to do with places that are supposed to be busy and full of noise being silent and empty is kind of ominous in a way that it's hard to pinpoint Mm. but yeah going around sort of it's school empty schools empty like hospitals um, maybe hospitals for a slightly different reason yeah or shopping centers yeah and all that sort of thing it's just it's it's got like an apocalypse vibe exactly you kind of want to look over your shoulder and see where the zombies are why no one's here you know but it's good to have a book that uh, questions um existential things as well although i feel like i'd have to keep this away from my husband because we can't watch the truman show anymore because he just sends him into a spiral of is my life real and i just 
if you if he likes the Truman Show, he will adore Never Let Me Go. Um, and I think it's also it would be ideal for fans of what was that film, The Island, with Ewan McGregor, and I think it was oh my gosh, Scarlett Johansson. Sounds familiar. I am terrible at watching films. <laughs> But they, um, yeah, for it's a very similar kind of plot to that. And I'll just say that. I feel like that's enough of a spoiler. Um, but, yeah, if people enjoy that sort of thing, then they'll really like this. It sounds like a really great um, recommendation. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super bad at watching films when they come out, um, just generally, because I just, I, I think I used to be better, but I just, I don't know. I think I'm bad with TV and films in a timely manner anyway. Like, I'm just starting to watch Downton Abbey, and I think that's been finished for about 10 years. <laughs> you know, all in good time. That's why I think things like Netflix are just fantastic. You can rediscover old classics and do it at your own time. There's no pressure. <laughs> it's great. Exactly. But, um, so never let me go. I I mean, how scary are we talking? Is it quite scary or is it just a nail? Do, do you not? read it at night do you wait oh, until no, daylight or it's not just a niggle i think it's not scary in the sense of like a, a boom a jump scare or a traditional horror it's more just because of that ent- existential twistiness that you suddenly find out and it's it's more really a question of, of your morals and ethics you know like once you discover what these children are being raised for it, it makes you question a lot of things and about how you were raised and what the purpose of raising people is and it just, but yeah, it's more, it's more just a niggling uneasiness, I would say, than a, than a real scary fact. So like a psychological thriller sort of horror. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Something that those are sometimes brave. worse. <laughs> <laughs> You're braver than I am reading a book like that on your own in a cabin in the woods. I'll say that. <laughs> As I, I feel like I should preface all of this by just saying I'm a huge horror and thriller fan, so... Uh, yeah, for me, it would be, be more brave to read A Romance in the Woods. <laughs> you would get on very well with my uh, my best friend. Uh, to be fair, most of the people in my life love like horror and thrillers. And I. it's not that I'm scared of them. I feel like I have to impress this on people. Okay. I'm not scared. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am capable of being scared. But being scared isn't the main reason I don't watch them. <laughs> um, it's more that I think because... I don't know, I seek escapism and stuff like that. And, and I don't enjoy... Okay, maybe it is that I'm scared. I don't enjoy being scared. Completely <laughs> reasonable. <laughs> but I love roller coasters, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just a person of contradictions. I think just because a lot of the time, um, I think it's just... Again, with like with thrillers, I've probably just not found the right one. But um, I have had to be bribed with um, great amounts of food to go to see things like this in the cinema. Like my my husband had to bribe me with a whole pizza to go and see it when it came out <laughs> that bribe would not work for me i am that's mm. the one thing i can't do i'm i am the cliche that i am phobic about clowns so i could never watch it i've never read it i refuse to see it i mean i'm, I'm scared enough without even having to walk into the cinema it would be ridiculous i'd break down <laughs> Well, I mean, that was the best part of it. No part of the deal said I actually had to watch it. They just said I had to go to the cinema to watch it. So I literally spent the entire time under my jacket because I was like, I don't want to watch this. That's, that is the best strategy. And you got a pizza out of it. So it was really <laughs> not that bad. Yeah, I definitely won. I 100% won. Um, 
yeah, I, uh, I, I always find because I also don't, I try to block them out of my mind. I don't get affected by them as much afterwards. Like they don't play on my mind as much, but whoever I end up watching them with, because they've really been paying attention, it like seems to play on the back of their mind and they're, they're more affected by it by me by the end. So it's, it's, there are perks to it. There are definitely perks to it, but I, um, maybe should try some good psychological horror or that sort of thing to, to, dabble with it so this may be a good place to start with it i feel like never never let me go could be a good entry point because it's not like i said it's not specifically scary so it could be it could be the right book to ease you into a little bit of a a thrillers and psychological psychological horrors and things it would be you know it would be what do they say it's it's the gateway drug (laughs) (laughs) you never know this time next year i could be um completely converted as a reader um just only ever reading thrillers and it could be all because of never let me go and your recommendation i'm gonna check in with you in a year and just see (laughs) excellent well while we're adding to my already ridiculously long tbr (laughs) what's the fourth book that's going on your list okay book number four is um it's actually it's the first book in a series um so but it's it's also a great as a standalone novel um, it's called The Night Watch, and it's written by a Russian author called Sergei Lukyanenko. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I apologize to anybody out there if I butchered that. Um, and it's essentially just that good old entertainment of good versus evil. You know, it's got a bit of a fantasy feel. There's vampires, werewolves, witches, you know, and it's it's really just this entire thing about the dark versus the light. Um, and how neither is completely dark or light. You know, both sides have to balance each other out, so there's no such thing as just pure evil or pure good. Um, but yeah, it, just, it spans, it, you know, there's, there's these aspects of history because it implies that the leaders of these two organizations, the Day Watch and the Night Watch, who kind of fight each other and check each other, go back for yonks, like to the medieval times, and it kind of sets the premise that there's always been this kind of warring of good versus evil in the world um and how it's actually always each keeps the other in balance essentially to make the world harmonious oh so some really classic um themes all rolled into you know um one specific book when um was it published just out of curiosity i wonder if it was um what kind of uh, phase of vampires it was it was in Oh, listen, it's not it's not sparkly vampires and it's not romance vampires. It's more um, <laughs> grisly vampires, but also not the Nosferatu type. I'm trying to recall. I unfortunately don't have the book with me um, because I'm not at home, but I think it was first published in 2000, about 2006, thereabouts. So, okay, um, so yeah, in um, mid-range. Before, before the vampire trope kind of exploded and became so popular in young adult fiction. Um, <laughs> Uh, so it was i've managed to find it i think and it was first published in russia in 1998 here we go much older i apologize so a a pre-millennium vampire yeah but i mean the you know the vampires are a small part it's kind of it's it's got all the kind of ghouls and things to think of you know and the good side has your your good witches and your kind of like angel types and you know so it really is this deep dive into russian mythology in a way that's it's kind of anglicized to be approachable to everybody and it's just it's just great for like a proper escapism good old-fashioned good wins at the end of the day 
feel good thing you know like if you like harry potter or if you like i don't know aragon or even lord of the rings it would probably appeal to you it has that kind of epic feel you know of a proper good saga oh that sounds so fascinating i mean the idea of it sort of giving a dive into i suppose mythology but also i mean russian mythology as well because um i have very little experience with russian authors um, I have just started reading Anna Karenina, which I actually am really enjoying. It's kind of like, it's got like Russian Austin vibes, if that makes sense, which is probably, I don't know, massively insulting to no, someone. I, but... I just, I find Tolstoy is a little, he's, he's like a tiny bit slower, a tiny bit more relaxed than Austin. You know, Austin, she likes to get to the point and kind of make her hair and just go crazy, whereas Tolstoy wants mm. to into it but i would definitely say that's a that's a fantastic comparison i agree with you 100 yeah i think probably part of it is because i didn't realize but it was serialized wasn't it so it was released in increments so he probably got paid by the word and he had incentives to keep people coming back (laughs) and kind of like dickens yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you can definitely tell that Dickens was the because he's just the rep- repetition and the, the 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 flowery language. I just I'm not a Dickens fan, probably controversial, but not a Dickens fan. I but um, <laughs> yeah, but Russian mythology just sounds really fascinating, and I love an epic. I love I love when a book really deserves the title of epic mm. because it's just. I don't think you can apply it to everything. And I definitely think that a lot of fantasy tries and does not succeed yeah, at being epic. Most fantasy falls just a little bit short of the mark. Um, but what yeah, I something expansive. Another thing I really enjoy about the series is that um, all of the characters are written so well and are so accessible. You know, there's no, there's no one character who's kind of fleshed out more than the others. And there are good characters, bad characters, male, female, human, not human I mean, it really gives you, um, Lukianenko just proves that he can see people and bring people to life on a page. And that's just fantastic. Like, you can instantly connect with the worst of the worst and the best of the best in his books. And I think that that's a real talent. Oh, that sounds so, it sounds so good because I'm just, I'm a very character-driven reader. I like my characters. Characters are the, the be-all in it. I can deal with a lukewarm, not very good plot if the characters, yeah. I adore them. If I'm moved by a character, <laughs> I'll follow him through a lukewarm plot. You know? But that's, oh yeah, I'm so glad you said that because so many people are so plot-driven and then characters fall flat and I just feel it lacks life, it lacks vitality and that's what a really good gripping character does. It brings just this extra dimension to a book and this extra presence to a book. Yeah, definitely. I think also, I don't know, I I understand being plot driven, but I, um, I don't know, I feel like maybe it's a safer refuge to be character driven. Although that being said, trying to create three dimensional characters is is something that a lot of um, authors sometimes struggle to do. Um, and it can be quite, I suppose, it's, it's great if you can have both. It's definitely great if you can have both. But all of my favorite fun. episodes... but we can't have everything in life all of my favorite episodes of a lot of my tv shows that i enjoy are like the um they're the low budget episodes they're the bottle episodes where they couldn't leave the set so they don't really have a plot it's basically just the characters interacting with each other in some way or another we call those filler episodes (laughs) so where it's not it's filling up the characters and not the plot which in a way is actually really appealing absolutely definitely my favorite episode so i love i love 
fully formed, fully fledged characters. And it sounds like this is the kind of series that would have a lot of morally grey characters that you can't really stand behind, but you want to. You find yourself becoming strangely attached to these morally grey characters. And and that for me was so impressive. And this entire series is like that. You as you keep meeting new people who are neither good nor bad, or who are a little bit a little bit darker grey, you, you can't help but actually relate to them and and feel inspired by them. And you kind of have this moment of thinking, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I relating to this character? And I think any any book that really gets you to question your own sanity is gotta be good. Definitely. I think also um generally readers are more tolerant of red flags in books than they are in real life. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a really, uh, really hard book to follow, but I get the feeling that you've probably got a great final fifth book to round off your very good list. So what is the last book you'll be taking with you to your cabin? The final book is none other than Slumdog Millionaire by, um, again, I could be butchering his name, I apologise, Vicar Swarup. Um, again, there's a film based on it, but it is just the most amazing representation of luck and coincidence and fate. And I just feel like it's it's just, it makes you believe in something greater and in something more important. And if you were stuck in the, in the beach somewhere, you know, in a desert island or in a cabin, you'd want to feel a little bit of hope and a little bit of redemption, a little bit of fact that life is about more than just the circumstances in front of you and I feel like that's exactly what this book does it just his entire this the the protagonist's entire path in life is is so random and messy and chaotic and yet it all comes together in this really strange way in he when he enters who wants to be a millionaire I did not know this was based on a book I have of course heard of Slumdog Millionaire because it is an incredibly famous film but I, yeah, no idea that it was based on a book. Um, I I definitely find the concept of who wants to be a millionaire really interesting because it is so based on luck. It's not to do with knowledge or any of that sort of thing. And and I think that's the whole point that the book emphasizes. I mean, the protagonist is he's not educated. You know, he's he's had an incredibly tough life. He's he's living on the streets. You know, so the fact that he could become that far and. That was the whole thing. He gets, you know, in the film and in the and in the book, he gets questioned like, "How did you know all of this?" Everyone assumes he's cheating because, you know, this slum kid from the slums couldn't possibly know that. But just because of the incredibly random hand that life dealt him, he somehow manages to like absolutely dominate it and just know the perfect thing for the perfect moment. And that's just, I, I just, oh, it just makes me believe that miracles can happen and that, you know. The impossible is not impossible. It's it's one of those truly heartwarming stories that just makes you believe in anything. Yeah, I suppose I think you 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 uh, you uh, touched on a better word than me. I think yeah, it does. Uh, suppose having um that kind of knowledge in terms of like who wants to be a millionaire and also any pretty much any TV quiz show is isn't sort of steeped in education. It's very much steeped in having like a varied life and coming into and also probably pretty good memory um and coming into contact with really unusual things because i i always find that if i sort of um i'll sometimes mention like a fun fact that i've picked up in some random place and people sometimes will be just like oh wow how did you know that and i'm like 
it was on a kids tv show that i watched when i was like 14 (laughs) or (laughs) or it was you know mentioned in friends once it'd be one of those things it's just like i heard it on qi it's like it's nothing to do with a side of a bus stop you know it's just yeah, exactly. You know, some kind of flashcard or, you know, better yet, I probably saw it on a, t- a TV quiz show or in a random book. Exactly. Um, but it's one of those, yeah, it's like an eclectic knowledge. But um, yeah, there's a poetry to someone having a very difficult life, but having that life equip them with everything they needed to completely transform their own future. Yes. And I think it, it also makes you reassess the idea of, you know, I think especially in a place like India where, where slums are such a, a well-known thing, everyone kind of assumes they know what it's like and that people from these areas would never amount to anything or that, that you know, they're limited. And to show that it's not, that he, that a character could be bigger than his circumstances and bigger than his challenges, I think is just such a powerful message for people. You know, just because life dealt you a bad hand, it doesn't mean you've got to quit. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that's a really, it's a really lovely book to end on. Um, like I said, it's not, I didn't, I had no idea it was a book. I really didn't. I, um, so I've, I've definitely learned something there. And yeah, I, it sounds very heartwarming and I find, yeah, I, I, I've, it's nice to have heartwarming every now and then. I don't tend to gravitate towards heartwarming because, I don't know, I think I like my books to hurt me yeah. um, in terms of emotional turmoil. The pain reminds me of life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I do, I think I have a, even though I do read across genres, I um, I have a bias for fantasy. I'm always very upfront about that in uh, on the podcast that um, my bias does probably lie in sci-fi and fantasy, even though I, I was, do. I was just admiring a few of the books behind you, and that is exactly the, the image that I got. <laughs> yes, uh, I I do have sort of sections for different genres, but yeah, like, like I say, there's a bias. There's definitely a tilt to... Um, <laughs> uh, the number of dragons and uh, magic creatures there are on the front of my books. You can never have enough dragons. And I just, it, there was there was a joke once I, I saw where a little boy walked up to a bookseller and asked him, you know, like raised a random book and said, what's this about? The guy says, I don't know, it's a romance or something. He goes, are there any dragons in it? <laughs> and the bookseller says, <laughs> and the little boy goes like, why would you bother reading it? <laughs> and part of me agrees with that. Like sometimes you just really need something crazy to let your mind go you know and to and to realize the potential of things like the world can be as big as you make it definitely and i think fantasy kind of gives you that dual uh, my opinion's always been that fantasy gives you the dual experience of giving you complete escapism if you don't want to see the parts that are mirrored in real life exactly. but um sci-fi and fantasy is heavily influenced and drawn from the real world it's you know representations of politics and real events and real history and and real culture and real things but you can not see any of that if you just want to not see any of that um but equally it's it's interesting um commentary if you do so you get you can you can have have your cake and eat it too i suppose for want of a better word and i think also um i happened i read a lot of science as well because i'm also um currently completing my bachelor of science and you'd be surprised by how many science writers will tell you that science fiction is not really so fiction. You know, there's, there, there are a lot of things that started off as science fiction that are now normal. So it, it kind mm. of, it, it, 
this this there's something about science fiction that I enjoy because it's almost predictive, you know, and it lets you think, what if? I mean, that could actually be a reality in a few years. You never know. I mean, it, 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 again, it just makes me feel limitless. You know, it makes me feel like you can do anything. You just put your mind to it and work hard enough for it. Yeah, precisely. I mean, so many inventions and things are sort of pulled from, they say it's like something from science fiction whenever a new groundbreaking discovery is made. And I always uh, find it quite interesting because I think it allows you, like you say, it allows you to ask what if in a, in a safe space that doesn't require you to have to have all the answers it just requires you to to sort of ask i suppose which is quite um interesting it's a quite a nice thing so i mean those we've, we've gone through all your five books would you mind just quickly recapping all five of them for the listener just Absolutely. before we talk about honorable mentions excellent okay so number one very top of the list was spill simmer falter wither by sarah Vaughan, which is um a nice poetic hopeful adoption story and uh, number two we've got Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk which um, anybody who's seen the film will know what that's about. Number three is Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, our lovely little dystopian entry into the horror world. <laughs> um, at number four we've got The Night Watch by Sergei Lukanenko which is our fantasy epic and then our fifth one is Slumdog Millionaire by Vicar Swar. Amazing. And you've traversed the world with your list. Your list probably goes to more different countries with the authors than probably uh, any of the lists that we've had before. So well done. I'm actually very glad you noticed that because I thought to myself, if I was stuck in a place, I'd want to travel. But if I couldn't, I would just travel to my books. So I made a point of trying to choose something that kind of represents, I mean, we've got an Irish author, we've got an American author, we've got a Japanese author, we've got a Russian author, and we've got an Indian author, you know, so we're seeing the world from our little isolated cabin. Exactly. And that probably makes me think, is a lot of this uh, translated fiction or was uh, or pretty much all of it written in English? It's okay if you don't know, this is a, a, um, a test. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was written in English, as far as I'm aware, except for the Night Watch, except for the Russian story. That's a translation. Um, but I know Kazuo Ishiguro is actually, he's, I think, as far as I'm aware, he's half English. Um, so most of his stories are actually set in England with English characters, which makes it really intriguing um, and not what you'd expect. Amazing. I um, I, I think I've, I've, I've made the decision recently that I probably should read more translated fiction because um, I feel like I'm closing myself off from a lot of amazing stories by only reading in English and I'm going to blame the English education system for that because because our um, adoption of foreign languages is um, abysmal and we should be ashamed of ourselves Mm -hmm. and we're still we're still so obsessed with Shakespeare and Dickens I mean yes there's a place for them but I mean you know how many thousands yeah. of amazing pieces have been written since then? Maybe we should broaden the scope a bit. Definitely. And don't be wrong. I mean, I said I'm not a big fan of Dickens. I'm not. I can understand why he's important. But also, he was a terrible person, just straight up, as an individual, not a nice person. Oh, um, so he, he dumped his wife. <laughs> no, he literally, he dumped his wife when she turned 40 because she was too old and married somebody like half her age. Oh. My word, I, I know. About that. <laughs> Just like awful, awful man. 
exactly. Exactly. Awful man. Um, and Shakespeare, don't get me wrong, there are some of his work I absolutely do. Much Ado About Nothing, one of my all-time favourites. But um, one of my also favourite uh, like musical soundtracks is... Um, it's called... Is it, oh, what's it called? Is it... Oh, something about the... But I've forgotten the name of it because I haven't actually seen the show. I've only ever heard the soundtrack. And it's about Shakespeare, but as a comedy. And um, there's a song called God, I Hate Shakespeare. And it's hilarious. I'm, I'm going to have to go and look that up because, I mean, that just sounds like something I need to see. I'm a huge Shakespeare, Shakespeare fan, but at the same time, all in good time, you know, in, in, in a measured dose. Um, and I don't think that he should be loved just because he's Shakespeare, you know. Um, exactly. His work has to connect with you individually. Love him for his work, not yeah. for his name. Yeah, you should definitely listen. God, I, listen to the song "God I Hate Shakespeare" I from the. I want to say it's like the Rotten Bard album. <laughs> it's it's just it's so funny. It makes me laugh. All of the songs off that soundtrack that I've heard have made me laugh as well. Because like "Hard to Be the Bard" is is sung by the Shakespeare character, but doesn't. I, but it's. It's all comedy. I'm I'm fairly certain from the design of it, it either is created by the same creators of Horrible Histories, for any listeners who might be familiar with Horrible Histories, or it's definitely making a nod towards it. I can't say I know one way or the other. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, you've really piqued my interest. Now I'm absolutely going to have to go and look it up. Yeah. All this to say, it's not that I hate Shakespeare. I don't hate him personally. I can just understand why someone might. Um, <laughs> I can't hate him. I've never met him. <laughs> precisely precisely um and i have enjoyed the bits of his work that i have read to be fair so there is there is that i, I haven't read extensively but I've, I've enjoyed what i have read uh so those are our five books uh well your five books that you'll be taking with you were there any um honorable mentions that you almost took almost picked but couldn't quite fit in i had just one um and it was it was really only because um of the plot and that is the martian by Andy Weir, because as a person who gets stuck alone in Mars, I thought if I was stuck somewhere and if he can get out of it, it's enough motivation for me to carry on. The Martian is a favourite of the podcast. Uh, I still have not. I I have got no. I, I've got no good reason for why I haven't read this book because it's been picked and honourably mentioned by so many guests. So. I really don't have an excuse. I'm probably going to have to do that. I think I may listen to it as an audiobook because... Actually, no, I have the audiobook. I'm going to listen to the audiobook because I get the feeling that it will feel a bit like a, a, like a voice log yes. diary. Yes. Um, and that'll work with the plot. Absolutely. It'll, it'll make you feel as though you're in there with him listening to his, his recordings and everything. But I think one of the reasons it's so popular is because it really just makes science sexy. <laughs> the guy, it's, you, you, normal science fiction is all very, you know, it's never really the guy gets the girl, the guy's good looking. It's he's a nerd and he wins his way. But the Martian kind of puts the spin on it. You know, he uses this incredible nerdy knowledge to literally like save himself and get off Mars. I mean, what's more impressive than that? Yeah, and I think a previous guest who picked it um, does uh, work in science and engineering that sort of thing, and she mentioned that actually the science is pretty good in it. Like it's actually not made up science. It's not fake yeah, science. It really is. Because um, funnily enough, he, he's a botanist and engineer, if I remember correctly, in the book. And um, I'm studying botany, so I can confirm that his potato experiments are, are quite spot on. So kudos to Andy Weir for the research. <laughs> you know? 
I find, for, okay, I know absolutely nothing about fa- botany, but I find the concept of someone being a botanist absolutely fascinating. Like, I think Poison Ivy is such an interesting Batman villain because the idea that she's, sometimes she has powers, but, like, the idea that, like, because plants, plants are going to reclaim this earth. Yeah. <laughs> plants are going to reclaim the earth. They just are. It's They're just waiting. They're waiting for our weakest moment, and that's when they're going to pounce. They really are. Um, they, they, <laughs> So you want to make sure that you know which side you're on, you know, how to fight back. <laughs> exactly. But, um, I, yeah, it's fascinating. So, yeah, The Martian is an interesting honorable mention. And, um, yeah, like I say, a, a fan, well, a podcast favorite that I, I, I have zero. I mean, I had no excuses the last two times it got picked. So oh, I don't know. Now the pressure is up. <laughs> you're really going to have to change that. Yeah, I have actually. Okay, I'm going to finish Anna Karenina and then that will be my next audiobook I start. Okay, so um, this is me committing to, to yeah. that. This is recorded. There are witnesses. Yes. <laughs> Everyone listens you to the podcast. Yeah, they will know. They will know. Okay, so The Martian is your honorable mention. You've picked your five books and I'm sending you off to your cabin in the woods with them all ready to go. Um, Well, thank you so much for talking about all of these awesome books with me it's been so much fun if people wanted to check out your recommendations elsewhere um where might they find you on the internet um it depends if you're on social media i can be found on instagram and i have a linked facebook page that's um green witch books which is a a nod to my botany (laughs) and um, i have a blog as well where i do book reviews called a girl with a book both excellent sources of recommendations and bookish content. I um, do follow both. So yes, I definitely recommend listeners go and check them out as well. Thank you. You're very welcome. Well, yeah, thank you so much for your time, listeners. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to uh, subscribe or follow the podcast, we are everywhere where podcasts are found. We're on YouTube at, um, there's also Books to Last podcast on YouTube. And we're at Books to Last pod on Instagram and Twitter um but yes until next time uh that's all so thank you for listening folks and until next time bye for now thanks so much bye